and welcome to Cinema Spectator, a show where an expert and a casual movie fan watch movies in the cinematic canon. Today's film is The Prestige, directed by Christopher Nolan, starring Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman. My name is Cameron Tuttle, and I'm joined with Isaac Ransom. Isaac, how are you doing? I'm so disappointed, Cameron. I was really excited to sit across from you in person, you know, touch your hair, run my fingers <laughs> through your beard, you know, as we as we could record finally reunited. Because It'll of, happen. Of the It'll move, happen. So. It's close. We're close. We're close. I just had Cameron something ba- come up today. Cameron basically said, don't come over. I'm grumpy. It's Monday. It's a grumpy Monday. I don't want to see That's you. That's not true. You That's know? not true. I gave you the option, too. <laughs> I just said it was going to be late, so... <laughs> I forgot. I, I was like, oh, eight o'clock. That sounds so late. And the and sun is still out. out. Like, what yeah. am I doing? I should have just went over there. Yeah. I, I, I guess it is on me, but um, that's de- it's definitely a different energy when we're in person. And it's yeah. probably a much worse show. So, <laughs> well, we were, I was, uh, we were talking about that last week because we went on several tangents, me and Juza did, um, that probably wouldn't have happened if we weren't in person, but it was just, you know, it was so natural with the, with the conversation. I feel like that's, that's how it goes, you know? I know the show basically adds another 30 minutes if you're in person at that point. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, no, other than that, yeah, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Had a good weekend. Um, been enjoying the outdoors. It's been unbelievable summer weather in California. It's just been like not hot. And well, I know some you know. some sun lizards are upset, but um I am not. I think it's like the most beautiful weather I've ever experienced here. So Yeah, I mean, I will say it's hotter for me uh than for you probably. Um, sure. <laughs> coming from San Francisco. So, I've been also my house doesn't have a- AC or anything, so Oh I've, yeah. I've definitely been been feeling it a little bit um but going outside it's so funny when you have a house that is small and doesn't have ac like everything radiates heat on the inside like your mm-hmm. fridge and your yeah. you know your tv and whatever else so you'll be inside and it'll be like nighttime and then you'll you'll walk outside and it's like 20 degrees cooler and you're like what how is this possible yeah. all of my windows are open <laughs> like, exactly yeah you got to yeah. get that like fan movement or something yeah you got to get like a ventilation stream I'm just going to give you a tip. I'm going to give you a tip. You got to turn on the bathroom fan if you have one of those and then just blow everything in that direction Mm because then you can like kind of get like some kind of like jet stream going, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, the jet stream, that's the way to go. I do feel like um, I got to figure it out somehow. Somehow. Some houses just don't have it, you know? Yeah. My house is kind of oddly shaped. So I don't know how a jet stream. I don't know how easy it's going to be, but we're, we're going to try. Well, you could just do the window unit at some point too, like the window AC unit or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But well, um, in any case, uh, what have you been up to? I, I haven't seen you in like two weeks. So I know. Yeah. I've been, um, well, we did the 4th of July thing. That was a whole experience. Um, yeah, I've been going just, out doing holiday stuff. I'm trying to think of all the movies that I've seen because that's like kind of pertinent to our conversation. Um, and there's two that I want to talk about, but I can't remember what they are because I'm I'm dumb. Um, the first one that I wanted to mention. Oh wait, three. Yeah, the first one I wanted to mention was White House Down. I recently rewatched that. <laughs> okay, this is kind of a strange choice, but I really didn't know what to expect revisiting it um juliana really likes that movie for some reason and she was like yeah we gotta watch white house down let's just do it 
That's um, not the one with Morgan Freeman, is it? That's Olympus no, has fallen. no. That yeah, Olympus has fallen. Right? Yeah, they, yeah, have the, yeah. they have the they have they have the clones or whatever. Yeah. Um, came out in the same year, I think. It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, <laughs> but I had a I had a good time with White House Down. Surprisingly, it is absolutely absurd. A Call of Duty cocaine fueled action movie. Um, but I enjoyed it a lot more. It kind of it it the the one thought I that I really wanted to bring up on this podcast about it is that. I feel like movies like that are not made anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was strange to watch a movie that I took for granted. Uh, like in like, and then watching it now, I'm like, wow, like there's nothing like this that's being made at the moment. And even like the dumb action movies that are being made, um, they're, they're not to the quality that white house down has, which is pathetic to say, you know, honestly, honestly, the, the, the closest, the closest thing I could think of was actually, um, ambulance from Michael Bay. That was like the first movie that I had seen in a while that I was like, this is like kind of an old school action movie with like some modern, like a modern spin on it. You know, Well, what I've been thinking about, and we were talking about this in our group chat, um, with the we were talking about CGI and sort of the mix right. of CGI and practical effects. Um I kind of where I was leaning towards, I said, you know, I want like kind of bad special effects to happen again. Like dummies and like um things like that that that's like a little bit breaking your your you know um the suspension of disbelief and kind of pulling you out a little bit because I think everything is too clean nowadays, and that also is like a bot. You know, you forget that you're you're kind of watching a movie, and there's something so neat about everything happening in like this very like clean, deliberate way. I kind of want things to be a little more chaotic. And I was thinking about this with, um, do you remember way, way, way back in the day? Uh, shout out JD. Um, he made us watch this movie, Death Wish Three. Do you remember this? No, no, I do not remember we're, this. We were staying up all night, um, you know, being high schoolers, and we watched Death Wish 3, and that movie is, like, insane. Um, and there's something so, like, ridiculous and absurd and over the top about it. You know, he's, like, walking around this town, basically, where everybody's, like, mugging, uh, you know, old ladies. And so he he makes himself uh, vulnerable, and he, you know, he, he's got his camera, he's, like, swinging his camera, and some, you know, the the they call him punks. Some punk came and stole his camera, and he just takes out his his giant gun and shoots him in the back and stuff. And it's like I kind of want movies that are like that, where it's like kind of ridiculous, uh, right. but also uh, hilarious. And uh, it's like you know when horror movies break into the like they're scary and they're funny. Um, mm-hmm. I want action mm-hmm. movies to do that too, where they're. They're th- genuinely thrilling, but also so absurd and so over the top that it's it's kind of funny. Um, and we're missing that. There's no, there's nothing like that in this in this realm. The only thing you get, and I, you know, I hate to say this, but the only, you know, you get action comedies, quote unquote, that are like the Marvel movies, basically, where they have quippy right. lines, but everything looks p- polished and neat and, you know, nothing ridiculous happens, although everything ridiculous is happening on screen. But, you know, it's it. it I want I want that low budget the, or the middle budget 
uh, realm of of action movies with like squibs and like you know just cool stuff again like bring back the 80s i don't know i <laughs> yeah it's interesting uh, this is going to spin us into a tangent because there's so many thoughts i have about this subject um the main idea that i've brought up before on this show is talking about my dad with um i don't know if it was this show or or our last podcast that we did um but how my dad has been a gamer since the PlayStation 1 and every single generation it's been a step up of graphics and presentation right to the point where like he openly talks about how he doesn't want to go back and he could never play those old games and i find myself going back constantly revisiting kind of the rough edges like kind of basking in some of the nostalgia of an old game and for him or at least that generation it's like no like i want to see I, I like I'm paying money like I want it to be the best of the best you know there's no room for camp in the new horizon game right there's no room for any of the goofy rough edges of Skyrim in the next Bethesda release the next Bethesda release has to be like perfect right there's this expectation from audiences in in the gaming um m- like medium and I wouldn't say every audience member but it like there there's kind of like this strange like casual to like invested person in the community that like doesn't really have that draw to go backwards mm-hmm. um sure they might look on stuff with nostalgic glasses or whatever they'll watch a youtube video about it they'll watch an old walkthrough and say man that's crazy looking at that you know look how terrible that looks and i used to think it was awesome right but going backwards to some consumers it just doesn't make sense at all and i think I noticed that kind of apply to movies when I watched um, Mad Max Fury Road with my dad, which I was so excited to watch. And he was kind of like, what is this? You know, like he was like, this is so like, like he's like, it, it almost looks great. Uh, but why they got to do that fast forward thing? And, and why does it have to be kind of goofy or, or like ridiculously like strange and things like that? And so for him, it was almost like they're not taking this seriously, you know, uh, because when he watched the original Mad Max movies, he was like, sure, they were campy and goofy, but they were doing the best they could with what they had. And now this movie is kind of like stylistically bringing that back. But it's but like, why wouldn't they like kind of take this like to the next level? Right. It's like he's he's wanting to see the next level. Right. And so when I took him to see a movie like Dune, which we've been talking about a lot for him, he was like, this is the amalgamation of what I've been expecting. This is the sci-fi movie I've wanted to experience. It's, it's epic. It's on that Lord of the Rings scale. It doesn't have any rough edges. It's like fully serious and, and it's awesome. And, um, it's like, yeah, there's, a, there's like lighthearted moments here and there, but you know, that movie kind of, um, like it's not the Marvel thing when you start watching a movie like white house down or the Marvel thing, right? Like it's like, it's all fun and games, you know? Um, and I know you, I know the audience members are, are thinking like, where are you going with this? You know, like what does this have to do with what you've been watching this week? I think it actually has a lot to do with Christopher Nolan and what we're going to get into, <laughs> uh, with, with this film. So, so just kind of hold that thought. Anything else you want to, um, add on to kind of our, our conversation about, um, you know, wanting to bring back the camp versus maybe an audience expectation in the modern day. No, I mean, I would just say that, like, camp is, there's two ways to do it. And I think, you know, people will will say, like, oh, you know, 
Marvel movies are campy. You know, Marvel movies don't take themselves seriously at all times, um, which which can be true. But there's there's a way to do camp where you know people are making these like quippy lines and it's kind of um, you know brushed to the side versus like embracing the sort of um, embracing a, a certain attitude of of campiness like as a whole um and and that's that's more what i'm talking about and i think i th- here's the the other thing it comes it can't be disingenuous camp can't be disingenuous you have to make it um from a place and i i do think um your dad kind of has a point in some ways where you know the original mad max movies yeah they they are a little ridiculous and a little silly. Um, and they are doing the best that they could, you know, those were kind of lower budget movies to start off with. Um, and so I do think there's, there's a good point there in that, um, a lot of times the, you know, the giant budgets of all of these movies kind of, uh, make the camp seem not very genuine. Um, and so, you know, I want, what I want is not like a Marvel movie that doesn't take itself that seriously. I want a like $15 million action movie. Basically. That's what I want. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want, you know, something that is giant budget and has like, um, and then has elements of the camp uh, that, that I'm looking for. I want something that's on a small scale and uses the tools that earlier filmmakers were, um, we're utilizing because they needed to, you know, that's, that's kind of more what I'm, what I'm interested in and what I'm looking for. Um, cause I don't, I just don't see that that much. I think the last movie that I saw that really embraced this idea was Mandy. Um, and that movie is like wild and insane and kind of exactly what I'm looking for in a lot of ways. Um, so, you know, that's, that's kind of my, my last thoughts about that, but I think natural camp, the more we're talking about it, the more I'm thinking about like, where does it come up in the creation process? And I do think some of it can stem from sort of a post shooting environment, like an editing space or where you're, you know, putting together effects or things like that. Um, And there, there's maybe not as many resources as you wanted. I think the sad part of why that's lost is most of the post, production is in a computer and in the cgi and, and it's like all a, really good now <laughs> yeah cheap. it's all yeah. It, it's it's all good good enough right yeah. and there's nothing um noteworthy from that right yeah um so like it's super yeah. easy to mask out like a boom pole or something you know it's like yeah it's really it's it's a simple task for nowadays where you know it wouldn't have been um 30 40 years ago that yeah, the camp subject. I think that that's that's garnered for a whole nother conversation. But I do, I do. Maybe we should dive into that because I I feel like camp is this nuclear energy. You know, it, it's a dangerous thing. You don't want to <laughs> manufacture it, right? If you manufacture it too heavily or, or too too heavy heavily, it it becomes like really. Um, I don't know. It just I think it falls flat. I yeah, think it's I it's agree. dangerous with some audiences. And speaking of practical effects, the other movie that I have never seen that I watched some of this week was James Cameron's The Titanic. Oh. I have never seen. And I got to say, I 
I really liked what I was watching. Um, I didn't get a chance to finish it. You know, all the Ocean Gate stuff. I was like, this feels like a good timely movie. You know? Sure. <laughs> um, and Jules and I started watching it. On 4th of July weekend, it was um, just... I. I think I understand why it was such a big popular movie. Um, but it is, it is so expertly crafted. Um, it's kind of hard to really knock it or hate it. And I really wanted to hate it. But as soon as the movie started, I leaned over to Jules and I was like, I know this movie is probably good. Uh, I just don't want to watch a movie about a boat sinking. And they do a great job, um, hooking you in with a plot and characters and Leonardo DiCaprio young is a lot of fun to see. Um, so I recommend it, even though I haven't finished it, I'm assuming I kind of know how it's going to end. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'll get around to, to getting through it. Um, but I, I enjoyed my time with it. Cameron, how about you? Have you been watching anything? Uh, not too much. I, um, Let's see. No, because I went camping, so you know I really haven't, uh, I haven't, haven't been able to to watch anything really. So, yeah, this was my one movie of the week. Um, so we could get into it if you want. Um, I feel like we're gonna have a maybe an interesting discussion about <laughs> about this movie. So yeah, if you you want to get into it, we can. Sure, yeah. Well, this is Cinema Spectator. You can support us at patreon.com slash ecfsproductions if you want to give to the show financially. But what really helps is just listening to the show, sharing the show, giving the show a rating. It really uh, helps our show grow, reach a larger our larger audience, and we just appreciate you being here, hanging out with us. Um, your listenership, it, uh, it it's really hard to describe, but um, I don't know. Like, it's just having people that want to listen to the show. Um, I'm always honored by it. It's not something small. Cameron, I know you feel the same way. Yeah. So we're doing and Christopher we'd love Nolan. to hear from you too. Oh, oh yeah. 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 We, yeah. We would. Um, cause you know, we, I feel like we have like a silent audience in some ways. At that's least. how they prefer to be. You know? <laughs> we, know we have some true. friends and stuff who, you know, who are honest about it, but, um, you know, but, but definitely if you, if you've never written into the show, we'd love to, Love to hear who you are and, you know, introduce yourselves. Yeah, no, it'd be great. It'd be great. And we'd love to hear movie recommendations as Ooh, well. Yeah. We, we have seen a lot of movies at this point. I know Cameron is dictating the direction of the show. He's He has papers all around him, Excel documents. He's ripping his hair out at the computer trying to figure out what we're going to watch next. So, <laughs> uh, no, we'd love to hear from you guys, connect with you guys. We appreciate you being here. Cameron, we're continuing Christopher Nolan Month. The Prestige, um, probably the first time that Christopher Nolan misstepped for me personally. Um, Wrong. So I'm, ex- I, I'm excited to dig into this. Um, but give us some context plot without getting too heavily in the spoilers and then pitch me a question. Yeah, so, um, well, I, I just want to go personally on background of of me with Nolan. I know... Last week it was funny. I, you know, we had, we heard from Juzo a bit how he, you know, sort of came to love Nolan. We heard where you were the week before um, when we talked about Memento. But for me, the prestige really, I think, let's see, I think I had seen Batman Begins first. That was my first Nolan movie. You could kind of take that or leave that as a Nolan movie in some ways, you know, if, you, if that's your first introduction. 
Um, I think I might have seen The Dark Knight next, but it might have been The Prestige. So it was a very early movie for me. And, you know, with the Batman trilogy, there's kind of some already, I already loved the character and loved the Justice League and, you know, sort of had some history with that. But The Prestige was one that I really um, had never, you know, it was, it, it, it kind of just crossed my path. And um, I had never really heard of Christopher Nolan in that context. I knew he directed, um, you know, the Batman movies, but I, I hadn't really explored any of his other movies. And so for me, that was like a huge sort of turning point in where I saw myself. I think I, I think I was in eighth grade. Um, and I fell in love with this movie. I remember it was free on the wild west of YouTube. Um, so you could watch it with no ads. It was just free up there. Someone had like ripped it and uploaded a DVD copy or whatever. Um, and so I remember watching it on my phone and just being enamored. I think I watched it like three days in a row, like, you know, three, three nights in a row. I watched the prestige and, so it really was one of a, I, I, for me, I think it's a pivotal movie in my sort of cinema journey, um, which is odd to say, because I think looking at it now, um, I don't want to disparage it. I, th- I still think it's a absolutely brilliant movie. Um, but looking at it now, there is some, uh, it is kind of a ridiculous um, concept. And there are things that, that like pull at the seams, like in any Nolan movie, I would say. Um, but I, I really loved the structure of the movie. I thought it was so, um, uniquely put together for a second viewing. Um, that was what I, you know, why I was sort of captivated by watching it over and over again was that it, it really seemed like it wanted you to stop the movie and then immediately restart it again. You know, it was one of those movies that, that draws you in, from the questions that it answers just very late in the, in the movie experience. And then, you know, re asks some, some of those questions. Um, and I think some of the fun is when you see these interactions and you didn't really pick up on them the first time. Um, but they look totally different in the light of, of, you know, knowing the, the revelations of the movie. So I guess, um, with that, I you know I absolutely love this movie. I think it's so much fun. Um, but uh, I'll go into a little bit of the plot. Um, it follows two sort of rival magicians in the turn of the century, turn of the eighteenth century. Um, sorry, turn of the nineteenth, turn of the twentieth century. That's there you it's go. turning into the twentieth. I century. never understood that. So here uh, yeah, it's whatever. Um, yeah, so. Uh, sort of rival musicians they first start as as sort of stagehands on a similar or on the, on the same show um and a tragic accident happens that that cleaves them apart and and makes them um not only professional rival, rivals but bitter enemies um as they as they uh pull more and more devious stunts to try to ruin their not only their careers but also their lives um and it kind of follows these with their, um, it follows these, these journeys, both of these characters, um, in this interplay between, by reading both of their journals. And it's kind of a ham-fisted, um, 
uh, plot device and the way that they that Nolan sets it up uh, is a little bit inarticulate, I would say, especially the first time that you watch it. Um, but you know, it it really wor- it works in that um, you're seeing these things happen kind of in tandem with each other, and he's using it to reveal information and to hide information from the viewer um, that he's going to reveal l- later. And so there's there's these things that that kind of are roadblocks along the way of your viewing where you get you get sort of uh, sucked out of this uh, world that you're living in and going back to to the dueling you know magi- magician. I keep wanting to say musician. I don't know why, but um, yeah. So um, you know, it follows like I said, these two uh, men who are kind of. Uh, definitely at odds and basically trying to steal each other's work, uh, so that they, uh, ruin each other's careers. Um, but Isaac, it seems like you, uh, you did not enjoy this, this viewing or maybe you did. I, and I misinterpreted, but I'd yeah, like to I'll, hear what you, what you thought about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my first, uh, th- the reason I brought up more of a negative stigma was it was, the movie that broke it for me in the past. Mm. Um, I was pretty big on Nolan and this one left me scratching my head being like, that didn't make sense. There's technical issues here. Like, like I, I don't like how it seems like they're just kind of pulling from wherever to explain what's how, like, like I was invested in the, in the magician's tricks and what they were doing and how they were outdoing each other. And I was fixated on kind of that like flat plot, you know, interaction between the two guys. And so as the tricks get more extreme and um, I think the movie kind of begins to show some elements of like horror or there's something dreadful that's beginning to like brew to the surface towards the end of this movie. That really like kind of turned me off the first time I watched it. Um, and some of the twists that are more, um, kind of out there left me like unsatisfied and thinking it was dumb or didn't come together too good. Actually, you know, on the, on the subject of endings that kind of make you say, oh, I I don't like that or that's silly, or you explain it out loud, like, and people, people are kind of like, or, or when people see the ending, they're like, oh, I don't really like it. But if you wrote it down on paper, it's kind of like a, it would be like in some kind of book or something like that, which I think The Prestige is based on a book, right? It is, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I've been finding myself kind of fixated on that when thinking about this movie, right? Um, and also, because I've been talking about the new Indiana Jones movie, I've been talking a lot about Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and how on paper that movie actually sounds a lot better than in the viewing experience, you know? Um, I think as far as like the Indiana Jones camp goes, like I'm like King of the Crystal Skull, you know, you got Soviets, cool spin, you know, aliens at the end. Why not? You know, that's kind of a, that's kind of an interesting supernatural occurrence, right? All of that, like on paper sounds good, but then in the viewing experience, the audience is like, what the heck was that? You know, that didn't, that was terrible. Right. Um, so I think I kind of had a similar experience with this movie on my first viewing. Now going into it with my current experience with Christopher Nolan movies, um, 
obviously I, I actually think Tenet is a huge factor for this. Um, this viewing was so good. I couldn't believe how good this movie was actually. Like yeah. I was, I was like, I was, I couldn't have been more wrong actually. Um, cause this movie, you don't have to get fixated on how they're doing the tricks. I don't know why that's what I was like clicking with as a young movie watcher. Um, because that's not really what the movie is about at all. Uh, Instead, what I ended up experiencing on this one was I remembered what I didn't like, the major spoiler at the end, um, what Hugh Jackman's character is doing, how he, how's he, how he's achieving his trick. That's the one thing I walked in with this movie remembering. Mm-hmm. That's what left a bitter taste. So watching it again, it was like a completely new experience. As a matter of fact, I don't remember um, anything about Christian Bale's uh, like magicianship i didn't i didn't even understand i actually like towards the end of the movie i was like wait are they ever going to explain how he did that because i don't even remember that part of the plot (laughs) i didn't remember the fact that he was married i didn't remember that scarlett johansson was in this movie yeah like there's like so many things with this film that i was like have i seen this movie like i'm really glad that we revisited it oh that's good yeah the the only thing that really stuck with me was the fact that i didn't like the ending which makes me think maybe I'm going to watch Kingdom of the Crystal Skull soon because I, I think I should see that before I see the new one. Um, I really enjoyed this film on this viewing. Where do I want to go from that? I think there's a few things in, in regards to Nolan that I want to point out that sort of... I think they, they cut people off when watching his movies and or or they hit people at the wrong time and then they're suddenly like i don't understand the christopher nolan thing Mm -hmm. with batman there's kind of like that intrinsic like we all like batman this is cool you know the music's cool like i might be bored at some times while they're focusing on the political aspirations of some of the characters but don't worry the guy with the cape is gonna drive his car or his motorcycle at some point i can get by all the long monologuing with deep you know, <laughs> deep meanings, like hard hitting quotes that belong as like some kind of, you know, book of Nolan, you know, the lost book of the Bible or whatever, you know, like, like some of his script, some of the script is like, like, so like, uh, Psalm oriented, it feels like the way that the characters talk, but you can kind of feel like that's that. all of, that's all of his movies though. Yeah, Not just totally. Batman. That's all totally. No, no, no. You can get past it in Batman. You can yeah. get past it in Inception. The visuals are amazing. They're shooting guns. They're pulling out rocket launchers, you know, and the score is super engaging. You watch a movie like The Prestige and it really slows down with anything that's that's that would please the, the major audience mm-hmm. and instead fixated, fixates on character drama um, and really, really uh, some of the themes like resounded uh, with me in in this movie, I couldn't believe how deep I actually think this movie is after yeah. watching it. <laughs> yeah, um, one of the major things is the ending. Sort of revelations that present are not. It wasn't the revelation of how they did the tricks that was sticking with me, but instead the character tension and like um, pain that they were both ripping into each other. I don't know if you felt this, Cameron, but I kind of felt like this is too, for me, the ending interpreted on this viewing 
And I could have been reading into it too much or this is a personal thing. But for me, it was like two people that were once colleagues that became like kind of business rivals or enemies like by like a force of nature um then clashing with each other uh up until the very end right and 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 it's ending kind of being like they're both at a loss and they've both sort of become monsters in their in their in their own light and i think that the line that really sealed it for me was the idea that um christian bale's like you know, you just, you're not a great magician. You, what do you know about sacrifice? Like you just stole mm-hmm. my tricks and Hugh Jackman's like, it, what are you talking about? Like it took everything out of me to, to, to outdo you and to steal everything from you, you know? Yeah. Like it's like such a profound idea, right? That these two guys are like, I mean, if you think it, you just apply that to a company or business or anything like that, even you know, friendship, achievement, if you're fighting for a relationship between someone else, right? Um, it's, I don't know, like I was, I was kind of taken back. I was like, I really didn't expect this movie to hit me in any kind of feels, but um, it resounded in, in this new way. I feel like I, I could take it in so many different directions, Cameron, but I want to hear from you on this viewing, like what stuck out to you. Yeah. Well, actually kind of jumping in on, uh, that sort of ending scene it's it is so interesting because when i was a kid you know that's that's like a uh it's a boring dialogue scene you know after the yeah the really interesting revelation but but really that's the keystone to the entire movie i would say and it's about these two characters and i would say it's probably even more fundamentally about um about Nolan and and himself and some of the ways that he thinks about his own filmmaking and his own storytelling and that, um, you know, Angier, I love his, his quote. He says like, um, if you can fool them for a second, um, then you, you know, he says something like you can, you could make them wonder. Um, and it's like these two guys have totally different philosophies where, Angier is like, he's very much the person who, um, is like committed to, to an audience capture. He's, he's the side of Nolan that wants the audience to be on board. He's the, the action. He's the, uh, the, the sort of tense, uh, moments that brings the audience on board and Borden, he's the boring, um, technical side. And like, these are the two halves that are warring inside of Nolan's movies, inside of all of Nolan's movies, um, is this, uh, this tension between how do we make a movie that's fun, that's engaging, that's inspiring for the audience that makes them wonder, um, and how do we make it a good movie? You know, how Mm -hmm. these two things are, are clashing at, at the center. Um, and then at the same time, both of them work together as bitter rivals, but both of them work together to create, you know, something that is true magic at the end. Yeah. And so yeah. there's something there's something kind of profound about the way that that Nolan sets up these characters. And I guess we're kind of getting into um maybe before 
maybe we should sort of dive into <laughs> to some of the story yeah. before we get into the philosophy because I, I don't know if it's going to make sense if you haven't seen the movie yet. Um, right. We, we can get to spoilers at the end and break down sort of the metaphor that you're laying out. But I do want to give some opportunity to talk about some of the cast and the performances, some of the direction of how the movie like takes the audience with them. Um, the, the film starts with the, um, the setup of Christian Bale. Well, Christian Bale's like witnesses, um, Hugh Jackman's character like drown in a box. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's the question at the start of the movie, what is happening? You know, what is going on here? Right. Uh, Hugh Jackman falls through a trap door. He falls in a box. It locks and he can't get out. Um, Christian Bale is kind of like looking at the box. Like what is even going on? You know, it's like what you're not quite sure what's happening between these two characters. They're obviously both kind of angry at each other in the scene. Uh, and Hugh Jackman's character dies or is perceived to be dying in the box. And then, um, you'll see Christian Bale as a musician or magician. Now you got me hooked. You got me caught up, Cameron. Uh, he's on trial uh, for the murder of him. Um, and then it kind of rewinds and shows their career, how they started being assistants to um, a magician. And there is an accident that happens on set where Hugh Jackman's wife, who's kind of the show lady, um, she was supposed to escape one of these like tricks and she dies uh, because Christian Bale um, was supposed to tie a certain knot. They kind of set up early on that he wants to try a new knot. Um, and they, they, it kind of shows them doing the same trick a couple nights in a row, right? So these two guys are assistants. They help tie knots essentially. I, I'm sorry if this is confusing. It's kind of hard to describe. But it's well, there like are plants in the audience, and you know they're supposed to be tying the the lady up so that she, she when she drops in the water she she escapes, you know. But but they tie a specific knot so that she can get up. Right. Basically. The trick is this girl falls into a thing of water, uh, curtain goes down, and then the curtain goes up, and she's suddenly out of the water. How'd she do that, right? And it's these guys go up and tie knots. They're from the audience. That's the wow factor, you know. But they're really plants. Um, so you see him do this trick a couple times. Christian Bale is talking about, well, we need to do this one knot. It would be way better. It'd be way safer, something like that. Uh, and the and there's a third attempt at this trick. There's kind of this eye exchange between um, Hugh Jackman's wife and Christian Bale when he's tying her hands. You're not really sure what he's doing, but there's clearly something different or there's some hesitation in what's going on. Uh, she dies in the trick. Hugh Jackman's infuriated. The whole show gets canned because obviously someone just died in front of a live audience. Um, and at and the it's funeral, kind of implied that they're, they can't get work anymore, basically, because they right, let this lady right. die. Yeah. At the funeral, Hugh Jackman's like, well, which knot did you tie? And Christian Bale's like, I don't remember. You know, and it's pretty, pretty terrible response, right? Yeah. Um, right. It's You don't know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and so that's where, like, the hatred really brews. Mm -hmm. Christian Bale kind of goes back out on the street. He's like, you know what? I am going to, like, figure this out. I'm going to I'm gonna do it on my own. Um, 
there there are some scenes where you know they go and see the the um the asian guy with the fishbowl thing that's before um the wife dies so you kind of get a setup for their uh both bale and jackman's love for the magic show how they're drawn to two separate things like christian bale's obsessed with again like you're saying the technical side like he's like wow look at the dedication to the craft Hugh Jackman is more dedicated or obsessed with like, look at how the audience reacted. Like, I can't believe like it's the show. It's gotta be a show, you know? Um, and the whole time I'm thinking about like the greatest showman. I'm like, why, why did he do that? You know? Uh, so, um, well, there's an important part where, you know, they, they go and, um, watch the, the old guy perform this, this trick where he, you know, he, he appears a fishbowl onto a table um, from, you know, from under a cloth. And, um, in the explanation of, of what Christian Bale thinks he, he is doing is, is kind of a, it's a key philosophy that, that brings, uh, that comes up later. I'll, I'll say, um, Christian Bale's explanation is that he's not an old guy. He's, you know, he's really fit and young and well, maybe not young, but he's really fit and, and healthy and he can pull it off by, you know, carrying it under his legs, uh, because he pretends to be old all the time. You know, he pr- pretends to be this cripple, um, who's, you know, unable to walk barely, you know, hobbling around basically. Um, and, and he says something important. He says, that is the trick, you know, the, uh, the facade around his character around the, you know, this, this old guy character, that's actually, um, the trick that's going on. It's to fool the audience, not just in the show, but around the show, um, you know, by, by this character. And that, that really informs the way that, that Christian Bale looks at, at this whole world, um, of, of performance and, and magic. Yeah. So, Right, that happens before the wife dies. I'm telling this all out of order. It's okay. It's a Nolan movie. You know, it is all out of order. Uh, you know, <laughs> Nolan. You know, it's all over the place. Um, the tragedy happens. Bale's character goes out, starts doing his own show at a bar. It's really rough, um, but obviously Jackman is upset. He sabotages that show. Then Bale sabotage, er, sabotages Jackman's show. And all in within that, there's some character drama kind of brewing up where um, Christian Bale kind of falls in love with a woman. Uh, they have a kid and they have a relationship, but it's it's difficult for her because, you know, he's a magician. He's very sworn to his secrets. There's a great early interaction where she's like, just explain the trick to me. And he's like, no, like that'll ruin it. Like he's, he's like so sworn to it. And eventually he caves and tells her, but you can tell like he didn't want to, right? Like it, it's kind of like a, um, there, and there's, when, when he tells her the, the trick, she says, oh, it's really quite obvious, isn't it? You know, like she's totally unimpressed at this point, right, which is another right. sort of mental thing with, uh, <laughs> with Christian Bell's character. Yeah. Yeah, so that there's kind of that building up. I totally forgot that he had a wife and a kid in this movie. I didn't even remember that. Yeah, right. It's a major part. I mean, it's the, it yeah. is the part. 
Jackman, after the sabotage, uh, meets up with Alfred. I mean, whatever what whatever that guy's name is. Cutter. Uh, yeah, Cutter. I use the actor's name so people can keep track. I don't well, think his actor name is not Alfred. So <laughs> It is Alfred. That's Alfred. Um, well, you can't say Alfred because Alfred is the name of of alfred borden that's christian bale's right. character michael so kane michael kane you can't call him alfred <laughs> and i said no <laughs> michael kane <laughs> is uh is kind of the old show producer yeah. uh from previously right so michael kane meets up with hugh jackman he's like hey you know what we can't do a show but people don't know you you were just a plant I think we should do our own show together. So they start putting stuff together to do a show. Um, Scarlett Johansson's character comes in as a kind of like show, uh, show girl to like kind of, you know, make the show more enjoyable for the audience, right? At a level of distraction, you know, she's very pretty, all that stuff. Um, and they're off to the races. Um, now, I think all of that is established and then um, Bale's character comes back and sabotages their first show. Uh, Jackman ends up going to sabotage a second time against Bale, but instead of sabotaging, he gets wowed by a trick that Bale does called the transporting man. Um, and Bale does this trick where there's two doors. He has a rubber ball. He walks into one door and throws the rubber ball to the other door across the stage and then pops out the other side. Um, and Jackman is like, like pricked by poison at that point. He's obsessed. He's like, I don't even want to sabotage this. I need to know how he does it. You know, I need to figure it out. Um, and so then there's this rivalry of both of them doing the transporting man with Jackman being, um, like very sure that he cannot figure out how he's doing it but he's 100% convinced that uh, this is the trick that will like kind of win the audience back. So he ends up working with um, a body double who is a drunk and a kind of a terrible person. He's quite comedic. It's kind of my uh, favorite part of the movie. Sometimes it is like, it's hilarious. I love, uh, I love Hugh Jackman playing two people on stage. Yeah. And one of them is a yeah. drunk and it's just like an amazing performance. And you, you really do believe that it's two different people too. You totally. Know, there's there's totally. something so different about, uh, about the, the, the drunks character than Hugh Jackman's character. It's awesome. I don't think, I don't think I've ever seen Hugh Jackman act like that too. So it was quite yeah. impressive. You know, I've never seen him in a role where he's like this comedic, mean drunk person that like is so so like uh depressed about everything and is like taunting Hugh Jackman's character as well the entire time and like oh the great uh great Dante or Dante or whatever his name is and he's, he's kind of doing like his own Jack Sparrow kind of like presentation but then of course on stage because the double's like an actor he's very like you know, he does his job at first, right? Um, so, Bale's character goes and sees Hugh Jackman's transporting man. Figures out, okay, he's doing the double thing. I gotta find this double. At the same time, there's some 
ramping emotion and romance between Jackman and Scarlett Johansson, but um, Jackman is still just obsessed. He's like, whatever we're doing is not the same trick. Sure, Christian Bale, he's got his... He, he doesn't have the show, but there's something about the fact that he's missing two fingers from an earlier sabotage that they've noticed. It's like both the guys that come out of the thing like are missing two fingers. Like, how is that possible? You know? So Jackman is obsessed. Bale is upset that he's stealing his trick. So Bale eventually sabotages it. And um, that leads Jackman's character to go um, to some extreme measures. Um, he travels across the country. Well, wait, actually, before that, um, he because there's this this sort of budding romance between Scarlett Johansson and him, he tries to convince Scarlett Johansson to um, go to Christian Bale and to um, basically, like, turn... Uh, or, you know, essentially, like, coax it out of Christian Bale. But it kind of backfires on him, and... Um, Though he he does end up getting uh, Christian Bale's diary, um, and so you know in this in this diary um, he does uh, he does steal or he does kidnap Fallon and bury him alive. Fallon is um, a very minor character throughout, um, though becomes ex- extremely important at the end. Um, Fallon is kind of the the right hand man of of Borden. You know, he's this this kind of he keeps the crowd in check. He's the one who's who's picking up vol- volunteers and and he's are always around um and they always comment on how he he never talks basically. So, um you know, he's he's this kind of mystery man uh throughout. But I would say on my first viewing, I I hardly noticed Fallon at all. Um, yeah, he was just yeah. kind of a background character. Um, I don't know if you noticed that same thing this time because you didn't remember it, but yeah, no, I didn't pay attention to him at all. Yeah, you know? um, um, yeah. So they kidnapped the entire Fallon. the the entire time. Really quickly about Fallon, and if you're not aware, yes, we're going straight into spoilers. You know, we're gonna get through this plot. We're gonna we're gonna have a full <laughs> plot overview at this point. You know, I, I like to see you guys try and explain a Christopher Nolan plot on the fly, all right? I'm, like, <laughs> trying to piece together what the heck even happened now at this point. Um, yeah, the the entire movie, uh, Christian Bale, he keeps saying, like, are you paying attention or something like that? Or are you watching closely? Yeah, right? are you watching Everybody closely? keeps saying that. Are you watching closely? Are you watching closely? And the whole time I'm sitting there thinking about the final reveal of Jackman's secret, right? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not seeing anything like connected to that, you know? Like I'm trying to figure that out. So again, you know, Molina's character is still like missing. Uh, or wait, wait, who'd you say? What, what's that guy's name? The Fallon. The, uh, Fallon, the assistant, Fallon. It's like I wasn't paying attention to Fallon the, in, the entire time, even though the movie's prompting you. Like, aren't you paying attention to the small things? I'm like, yeah. I don't <laughs> I don't see what I'm just supposed to, I was like, I'm supposed to know the ending. Like I'm not <laughs> seeing it, you know? Yeah. Um, well, anyways, um, the important part is that he gets kidnapped. Um, uh, Christian Bale has like a freak out session, um, where he, he goes and travels after him, um, and undigs him. Um, and at this point, 
this is a weird situation that every single time I watch this movie, I think I've skipped two to three scenes um, because there's a moment where um, he, so Hugh Jackman's character has sent off Scarlett Johansson um, to go play spy uh, against Christian Bale. Um, And then she comes back and she reports in, and we haven't seen any of their relationship so far. And she talks about how he lo- she loves him and she's like, you know, she's leaving Hugh Jackman. And you're like, wait, what is happening? Like, how did this right. happen? Every single time I watch this movie, I'm like, oh, wait, did I skip like two seats? Is there like, is there something I'm missing? Because like, I don't remember them talking at all. So that's my major gripe with the way that the plot is structured. They need to move those scenes of Scarlett Johansson falling in love before that conversation because it doesn't right. make sense in the context. Yeah. Um, yeah. But in any case, it, it doesn't matter that much. Um, so uh, so their relationship is kind of falling apart. Um, uh, and then Scarlett Johansson is going tor- to Christian Bale. He's kind of having this infidelity situation because he's married. He's got a, a daughter. And so there's this there's this tension with with both of them, um, and that is where uh, Hugh Jackman goes off to America um, because he finds the he finds the diary. Um, he was given the keyword, which the keyword was Tesla, um, and so he sent on this expedition to go find um, to go find this scientist who's out in Colorado making very unusual things happen in the, in the woods. Um, and there, I think that's kind of, that's where we pick up on, that's the first thing we see of Hugh Jackman's story, right? Um, we see him in Colorado. I think he arrives to the hotel and he's reading Borden's book. Yeah. So that's, what's kind of confusing is that, Throughout the revealing of the plot we just described, you're also seeing Jackman in Colorado reading um, Christian Bale's diary. And so it's weird because there's also the diary reading from Christian Bale in prison after you watch Hugh Jackman die. So there's two <laughs> diary readings happening yeah. <laughs> throughout this entire piece plot. I just want to say, congratu- Cameron, we're doing a great job on this plot. Right? We are, yeah. I mean, we're, we haven't even acknowledged the monologue from the diary. So No, it's fine. It works because it's, it's yeah, going through the, you know, through, it through the diary. It kind of works. Again, like this is, what, this is what's great about watching on my second viewing is that it's like, just don't, I'm just not going to overthink it. <laughs> I'm just going to let it like... Just gonna let it do its thing, and it that flows kind of, though. It really does, and you yeah. you you see this sort of the back and forth between these two magicians, and then by the end, you do catch up to where you were. Um, of course, of course. Know, and so it 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 starts to make sense. You really do for the first maybe ninety minutes of this movie, you're kind of lost for where <laughs> where things are in the time realm but you know that certain things are before other things um and that's always kind of maintained as as being pretty clear yeah so jackman's in america keyword tesla colorado he finds the scientist nikola tesla and played by david uh, bowie which is he's amazing 
<laughs> yeah, very good, very good. And then of course Andy Serkis totally forgot he was in this movie as well I know, as the assistant. Yeah. <laughs> what is this? What is this guy doing here? Um, but he is there to talk to Tesla about this trick, and Tesla's like, "Well, I do make machines, so you know, science at a certain point can be seen as magic if you push it too far." You know, and it and I also love that he talks about science as not being this exact thing that there is yeah, like says, some magic that makes no sense to it. He, all, he says you know? science isn't an exact science. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that was a pretty funny line. Um, so we're gonna pause there on the plot before we get too deep into spoilers. Okay. Yeah. Because we're we we're gonna wrap up kind of how it how it all ends from there. Cameron, anything to talk about the style or the theme or the feel of this movie that you want to point out on this viewing? Because for me, I didn't realize how kind of like dreadful and like ominous this movie feels with its score. Although the score does sound like the XMB startup menu. You know, it is it is like there is something really haunting about uh about this this movie that I just didn't initially click with me and on this viewing from the device's huge coffin-esque box to like the destroyed theater and like the creepiness of some of the areas of they're in London, right? Yeah. Like it's just decaying and like falling apart. I, I don't know. Like there was something about this movie that I was like, wow, there's there's a real grunge to this film that is pretty I don't know, it's potent. Yeah, no, absolutely. I would say this is one of his darkest movies and absolutely has elements of horror. Um he's very disturbing at times like um we didn't we haven't gotten into it yet, but there's a a particular death that I think is like whoa, it's like really kind of intense. Um I I winced at a lot of the sabotaging of the yeah. the the very the dark different stuff. magic shows. Yeah, I mean, so Bale at one point is doing the catching bullet and the guy that fires the gun that he calls up from the crowd is Jackman. He loads an actual bullet in the gun and shoots him right there. Yeah. That's the an hand, awesome. Yeah. I completely forgot about that scene. Like it's yeah, very and he, awesome. He, you know, and, and he, he holds the gun and, and sort of it pans up to him as, as uh, Borden is realizing what he's done. And, uh, <laughs> and he says, which knot did you tie? You know, and, yeah. And oh, it's like, so good. It's so good. Um, you know, there's like things like that 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 really, <laughs> really remind you that this is a Nolan movie in a lot of ways. You know, it's just like so, so many so many moments that are like just like amazingly, amazingly shot, amazingly written, and so much fun too. But also, like 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 we said, it is really one of his darkest movies, and the the sabotages especially i mean there's some there's some serious the birdcage bro the, the birdcage bird is, is is yeah that's hardcore yeah, that like, one is so gross and the way that he uh the way that he puts his hand on the top of the box and you see the missing and you see fingers the two missing fingers yeah <laughs> that's where you're like oh no but the one that made me exclaim out loud when i was watching it uh was when there's I just hated it because the second viewing, it's like, you know, it's coming. It makes it even worse because they keep showing it when he's falling on the sandbag 
over and over again. And you're just like, oh my gosh, like I don't want to see this scene. And when like the sound effect like cracks when his leg, like when he falls, I was just like, oh gosh, I can't, I cannot. Like it's just too much, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And they, it's great. It's great because you, you know, he drops in the same way that he has all, all the other times, but, but the, the bag is gone. He drops and then, and then you see, Christian Bale's character tip his hat or no, he just, he just like, he just waves to him as he's like going up. Right. So this, we're, we're talking about like Christian Bale does sabotage Jackman's invisible man. And, uh, his invisible man is like, you open the door. One guy falls through the hole and another guy comes out the other side, like through a quick elevator. Right. Um, so sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but it's like, it's like, Christian Bale's character is going up the elevator, totally t- taking over the show, right? Yeah. Basically, Hugh Jackman's supposed to pop out the other side. The double's supposed to pop out the other side. But instead, it's the musician from across the street. Uh, and then he, he kind of starts making jokes. The double is tied up uh, and he's like lowered on the stage. And he says, oh, sorry, I, I accidentally took over the show. You know, See me and, at the other, you know, <laughs> the Pantages across the street. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's a pretty, it's a pretty funny moment, but it's like heartbreaking as well. Cause yeah, it's just brutal with the, with the leg. And then he's like limping the whole movie also. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. Anything no, else really... you want to add to the, the, the theme or the cinematography? Well, so um, cinematography-wise, I mean, it is a beautiful-looking movie. Um, I think it's Wally Fister who um, who shot it, if I'm if I'm not wrong. Um, and yeah, just you know, genuinely some some excellent moody stuff. Um, you know, making London look very like dark and grungy and kind of this um, odd place, and then. It's it's almost like Bloodborne esque, you know. It's like mm-hmm. there's certain moments that are very the just, graveyard, yeah, just dark and uh, and the the blind stage hands at the end, you know, yep, it's like yep. very very interesting. And then um, and then Colorado is this kind of like wondrous place of of real magic, you know. That's kind of it's almost like uh, like a Christmas e like fairy tale land. Um, yeah, just just really beautifully shot, and then thematically um yeah well i guess let's get into spoilers before we kind of finish themes but but other than that i would say the performances all around are are fantastic i you know christian bale is excellent but hugh jackman especially i think um he really knocks it out of the park in both of his performances um yeah um anything else you want to say no, I just I really wanted to to point out kind of the style because it I didn't notice it the first time I watched it and this time I I just think it, I was just more aware of some of the elements that were surprising to see from Nolan and also just um strongly presented in the movie. I think I think this is one of Nolan's more different films. Um that was poorly said, but you you know what I mean, right? Because we watch Memento, yeah. right? Watch Memento. Something about that film feels, um, you know, it's kind of like a, it's just a different style of movie, but it is straightforward, even though it's inverse. I don't know. I don't know how else to put it. Um, there's something about it that 
that I was like, yeah, I could totally see Nolan making this kind of movie. You watch the Batman movies, there's not a lot of time jumping. Batman Begins has some of the the more weird editing, right? But um, from what I remember, The Dark Knight's pretty straightforward. Um, and The Dark Knight Rises, yeah, you know. Dunkirk lost me the first time I watched it because it's all out of order. And then Interstellar, also straightforward. I feel like Inception, pretty straightforward as well. So with this one, there there are like different timelines going on. Um, I think Inception has has a lot of the same ideas that he was he was thinking about in this movie, but more plot driven, right? So it's like right. everything is you know dreams inside of dreams inside of dreams, and there's all these different storylines going on and he's intercutting between the it's like a, a tower of you know all these different things whereas this movie it's not really for any particular reason other than he he's literally just doing it as a plot device so that he conceals um he conceals information from you basically um until until he wants to reveal it at the end basically so mm-hmm. um there isn't there isn't a plot purpose for the reason that even like memento there is a plot purpose to it being reversed. You know, it makes sense. But this movie is totally, um, <laughs> totally just a creative choice. There's no reason or explanation. You're you're following it through these two diaries, but at the same time, you don't really need to be seeing it through the diaries. I think maybe a lesser director or, you know, m- a more straightforward director would probably just play this movie pretty straight and it would be a big departure from it, but it kind of, I like the way that he weaves, you know, these different storylines together. And I imagine I could be wrong. I haven't, you know, read the book or anything, but I imagine the book also has a lot of this intercutting and jumping between timelines and, you know, whatever else. It's probably more straightforward in the book than it is in, in the movie. But I think that's just kind of the thing that he, he enjoys as um you know as a plot device but in this case it's kind of it's very much uh it's not plot driven it's just you know storytelling driven i guess hmm yeah i think it's time Cameron to get into the, Let's the ending spoilers the largest reveals so Jackman's character gets a device from uh, from Tesla, and I don't remember it clicking like it did uh, on this viewing because it's pretty clearly showing what's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for some reason, the first time I watched it, I didn't understand that the machine clones whatever you put in it. It just uh, it cl- duplicate. It's a it's like a Star Trek replicator, basically. Yeah, it, it replicates stuff, and it shows that all the way in Colorado. Right, um, but you know the his his he comes back. He's very emo and dark looking, right? And he reinvolves um, Michael Caine in his production. He says, "I'm going to do this. I have a new device. I don't want you to ask questions. I want you to be out from behind the scenes." And he is doing the Invisible Man with clones. So he's he is 
presenting on stage. He clones himself, uh, and he is up, like, in the balcony within a matter of seconds, right? Um, now, the dark twist to it is that he's killing each clone um, after the performance. So the clone that is inside the replicator falls through a trap door, drowns, and dies in the tank, right? Um, and then he is also standing up in the limelight. So you're kind of experiencing this, or you're seeing this um, cycle, right? That's kind of where my mind went. I'm like, so you're saying the clones only have so long to live, right? Well, they... well, I think even even more so, it's like, you know, he asked that question, which one, I, I never know which one I'm going to be. Am I going to be the man in the box or am I going to ma- be the man in the balcony? You know, so which doesn't make sense. Well, the the thing about it is, if you replicate yourself, right, you're standing the first. Let's say the first time that he does it, right. Well, the first time he shoots himself, so that that's not a good example. The first time he does it, um, he's standing in the in the in the thing, right. He mm-hmm. he, he gets all the lightning shot at him, then. He gets replicated over there, and he right. that means he drops down in in the exactly <laughs> in the water. The original, the original Jackman's dead. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. But exactly. it, here's here's kind of where I I began to sort of like maybe make up things. Right? There's the investor Jackman. Is he outside of all of it? I have no idea. Right? Is he not involved? Has he created a new alias? Right. And he's just boxing up these characters, right? Every single show. I don't know. No, I don't no, no. Know the, how it all? Wait, what? Wait, say that again. So the investor Jackman. I'm just gonna call him Investor Jackman. No, no, that's later on. That's after all the shows. So he's just the lucky clone. He's the know, last. He's the last one. He's the last one. Because remember, I could, I could have interpreted it as he was outside of it. No. Somehow, but uh, I don't oh. know. No, 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 no. I don't think there's ever two Jackmans running around. I think it's always one. And but something and, about the investor guy seemed like he had been with it for a while. I don't but, know why. But that's the thing, is they've all been with it. They are exact yes, yes. replicas. So, of- so this is this is this is kind of where the movie frustrated me on my initial <laughs> viewing. With this one, I was like, I'm not gonna overthink it. You know, he's got his little you know, Emperor Palpatine clones in the in the jars, right? <laughs> I don't know why he's not dumping them, but he's just keep he's storing well, he's keep them, them all. secret. Yeah, he's storing them all. These the the dead Jackmans in the in the things under the abandoned theater. So, of course, the first few times he does this trick, um, Christian Bale sees it and he's like how is he doing this it's that same obsession that we saw earlier in the movie and he's like there's no way like there's no way he's doing a double right um because i saw his attempt with the double right like i saw his double and i i i abused that i exposed it but there's just no way he could be on stage and then within a matter of a second be 50 feet up in the balcony like there's he just couldn't figure it out right so at some point, um, 
Christian Bale runs under stage. He has to know. And that's where we see that opening scene, right? Yeah. Where Christian Bale witnesses one of the clones drown. Um, Bale's put on trial. And then this is where the twists really begin to hit again. Is Bale's in jail. He's reading the diary. There's also, I mean, we didn't even get into this, but um, there's a great moment where Jackman's in Colorado and he's trying to figure out the cipher in the journal while he's working with Tesla on the machine. And there's a moment in it where um, Christian Bale writes in the diary, and I know you're reading this because I planted it and I gave it to your assistant. And she, this is her act of love to me. She sent you off to America. Enjoy your life, you idiot. Right? Like he kind of yeah. like schools him with the and so Jackman's furious, but then Tesla actually delivers on accident. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. like, like he's like, wait, you actually? He's like, I'm done. I'm leaving. And there's this great. I I thought the whole thing with um, the Edison plot was pretty bomb. You know? Yeah. Like it, really the, I, they, I was like, I don't remember this. You know? They're like throwing Edi- throwing Tesla out of town and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Edi- Edison sent his sa- men. I, I would say, you know, here's the thing. It's not like Christopher Nolan's ever been known for his subtlety, but um, but I would say, you know, when with, with the Edison stuff and with the the sort of um, going back and forth between like you know, AC and DC current and stuff like all that stuff is actually really fun and interestingly implemented. It's, it's very like, if you don't know the history, it's not going to get in the way or anything, but like it is kind of, it's, it's an interesting part of the movie. That's, that's kind of like this, this little Easter egg, if you know, you know what you're looking for basically. Yeah. Yeah. I think we did on everything comes from something, an episode on, uh, on Edison. Yeah. And Tesla. Yeah, I remember that. I think it was called the worst people in history or something like that. I don't don't look it up. It's probably horrible. <laughs> if you want to read about that, it's it's quite fascinating. Not too different. The world's not too different. I just want to say that the world it's is true, not too yeah. different. Yeah. Um. Anyways, Jackman gets his machine. He he uh, poisons. Um. Christian Bale with wanting to know. Christian Bale then witnesses him dying. Michael Caine walks in saying, "Oh, he's the murderer. You know, you just mur- you just murdered him." Um, even though Michael Caine wasn't supposed to go down there, it's just that he noticed Christian Bale run downstage, and Michael Caine's like, "Oh no, you're not sabotaging us again, right?" So then, Christian Bale is in jail. He's going to be hung for being a murderer. Um, he's really struggling with his, like wanting to see his daughter and whatnot. And I left out, of course, another thing, uh, Christian Bale's wife hangs herself. She's alcoholic and depressed all that, that whole, there's that, all those, all those lines about her saying like, you love me on some days. I actually, I, I, that really stood out to me on this viewing at first. She's like, I love it because when you say you love me and you mean it, it means so much. She says that at the beginning of the movie. And then later in the movie when she's not doing well because uh, Christian Bale is obviously having an affair and things like that, uh, she says she says she hates when he says he loves her honestly because it makes every other day that he's not honest worse. Even worse, right? yeah. Yeah. So, sorry. Left that, left that plot out. She, she, you know, offs herself. Um... And so, um, 
Christian Bale and, and what is his uh, servant guy again? The Fallon. Fallon. Basically, Christian Bale's still trying to do his show. He becomes obsessed with, you know, the new transporting man. Fallon is kind of behind the scenes. Uh, Bale keeps asking Fallon to take care of the little girl, you know, in different scenarios. And then as Bale goes to jail, uh, Fallon is having to take care of the girl um, when he's in prison. Christian Bale's in prison. But he gets uh, an so- offer from a mysterious man who, you know, has a lot of money, basically, saying, you know, instead of putting your, you know, instead of uh, orphaning your your girl, your your daughter, um, you know, we're offering to basically raise her and make her a warden of of my estate, as long as you provide me with the secrets of your of your magic tricks, um, right. And there's a little line. I don't know if you you caught it, but but uh, the guy, the like courier guy, he says, um, um, you know, Christian Bale's like, well, Fallon will take care of her, and and he's like, Fallon, you know, some random guy who has a past as mysterious as your own, you know. <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> you know, what does that mean, um, you know? But that's like very early on in the movie. I, I don't I don't think you like put put the pieces together basically. Uh, but there are all these little hints um, about sort of the twist of of Christian Bale's character. Um, well, let's 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 get into that final twist, right? So, you know, Bale is hung, and Hugh Jackman, being a clone, is like, "I won, I did it." Right. Well, actually, I, first we we didn't talk about that. So the the financier who ends up, um, you know, basically purchasing. Christian Bale's daughter. He comes in person to meet uh, to meet Christian Bale, and um, what it turns out is he um, he's Hugh Jackman, and it, and it is kind of this this big reveal and really important moment where he's basically like, "If I'm in here for killing you, how are you still alive and you know walking around?" Blah blah blah. Um, and so that's, you know, that's part of the, the sort of trickery of the, you know, the, the dueling magicians. And at this part, at this point, it's gone way beyond like, you know, pure just maiming of the other people. And it's gone into <laughs> like completely sadistic t- territory yeah, where he's cruel like, and unusual punishment. He's, he's, you know, basically kidnapping Christian Bale's daughter. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So anyway, so, um, yeah, Christian Bale's character is hung, hanged. It's actually hanged. Hung is something a little different. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Christian Bale's character is hanged, um, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so he, uh, you know, you then see this this interaction between Cutter and um the new sort of wealthy financier who is, you know, obviously Hugh Jackman and the way that that worked, I think it's pretty obvious, but it's never, it's never shown. Basically the last performance, Christian Bell walks down stage and then he sees, uh, Hugh Jackman fall into the box and he screams like somebody help. Like the, they changed the locks or whatever, you know, you can hear it from downstage. So basically the assumption is that, Nobody ever appears on stage. And my assumption is that Hugh Jackman, you know, he obviously does appear, but he sort of quietly, when he realizes that Borden has, uh, you know, has passed 
be on stage and his plan is complete, um, he quietly slips out uh, and and disappears basically because right. he is still being cloned. You know that time. Yeah. Um, it's not like it's not shown that that's not like a shot that ever happens, but that's my my assumption. Yeah. Um, so you know there there's this interaction between Cutter where he basically says like I may I helped you, you know, basically kill Borden for what like for for um, you know, for your, your trick, like this isn't a game anymore. And so he's like, he's very upset. Um, Michael Caine's character, Michael Caine's character. Um, and, um, I forget how it happens, but, um, essentially he's, um, how does, how does he get back into the theater? I don't, I don't remember. He goes back to the theater for something. They're, I think they're putting away the the box. The machine. Yeah, yeah the, the machine. Because the machine was delivered by Michael Caine, even though he was yeah. trying to keep it. And they're like, oh, this random investor, you know. Uh, yeah. You know, he, he, he wants it for sure. That's non-negotiable. And then Michael Caine's like, well, maybe I'd like to say something to him. And the middleman's like, well, you know, if you can, if you can figure it out, right? And so they meet, yeah. and Michael Caine's like, you're supposed to be dead. I don't understand, like what's going on here and uh Hugh Jackman's like I didn't want to involve you but you know you did my bidding you ended up <laughs> he basically ended up testifying in court against Christian Bale who just got hung right hanged <laughs> oh man uh <laughs> and so um yeah they're putting away the machine in the broken theater uh, or uh, just Jackman is is pretty way. Yeah, you see all the Emperor Palpatine clones in the boxes, the blue. And uh, lo and behold, I mean, that's, that's the wait. Sorry. Yeah, that, that's the last shot. Sorry, all the clones are in the last shot. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, lo and behold, who appears from from the darkness, other than Borden, who is supposed to be hung, <laughs> hanged, hanged. Um, <laughs> Who was supposed to be hanged uh, at this point? One was and, hanged and one was hung. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, and it's like, oh my goodness, how does he? How did he survive? You know, we saw him. Blah blah blah. And so he shoots Hugh Jackman, and there's this amazing explanation scene that I think maybe again, <laughs> a lesser director probably couldn't get away with with this. Uh, ridiculous of a of a scene, but it really works in this movie. I think. I think it really. <laughs> I think it really works. Um, you know, there's and the this mustache movie. reveal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, How dumb it sounds on me. <laughs> <laughs> but there's this there's this reveal where basically through this entire movie, Fallon, who you've been seeing, kind of in the background, is just a very you know, quiet background character, no, no characterization whatsoever. Um, he, uh, he ends up being a twin of, of Borden. So there are two Bordens and throughout the whole movie, they've been sharing one life, um, you know, and each were in love with a, with a different woman. One was in love with Scarlett Johansson. One was in love with the first wife. I, I can't remember her name. Um, who hung herself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we got to wrap this up. Um, 
you know, and so, um, so there's this just amazing scene where, where they're, you know, they, they describe this. And so it, it puts your whole perspective and it makes your whole perspective new, you know, you're like, Oh my goodness. All of the things yeah. that, that these characters were saying, like, you know, she's saying, you mean it today, but you didn't yesterday, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you know, it's because they're switching back and forth, you know, between, and they, there's that scene where, where she's like, it's bleeding just as bad as it was the day you got shot, you know? Right. And it's like, there's right. this, there's just this amazing, um, you know, it's like a revelatory experience of going back, um, and reimagining the whole movie basically in this way. And so, um, you know, in the end, um, in the end, Borden does get his revenge, but he's kind of irreparably damaged because, you know, there once was two Bordens and now there's only one. And so he can't really, he can't do any of the tricks that, that he was most famous for. Um, and there's another really interesting line in the beginning where he says, um, any magician can do, you know, any other magician's tricks. And Borden's like, nah, that's not true. Um, you know, because he knows, he knows that this, this trick basically has been a lifetime. He had to be under a certain circumstance of, you know, being a twin and having both of you being in, insanely committed to this one, you know, dedic basically just dedicating their whole lives to this one trick. Um, you know, and so that's, that's a, it's an, it's just a really interesting reveal, um, that for me, I think it works. I think it's awesome that that whole sequence. Um, and every time I'm like, Oh yeah, this is so good, but I can see how it's, I mean, it's a little ridiculous. Like I'm not, yeah, gonna, yeah. I'm not going to lie. It's not, it's a it little ridiculous. It definitely landed with me this time. Yeah. I thought it was, it was awesome. I was like, wow, this is, I don't remember this at all. It's amazing. It even recontextualizes the initial like knot tie at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Where he's like, I don't remember. Was yeah. he doing it back that far? I don't know. Is yeah, he was. Bale he was. acting as two different people in the movie also, which he is. I think his, yeah. I think his range is actually there, um, yeah. which is surprising. Because the family man responds differently uh, when he when he goes to see Scarlett Johansson that one time. Well, and, and I think uh, I think one of them is much more hot headed than than the other. Um, yeah, no, and totally. the the one who is more hot headed is the one who goes down um, and catches uh, or you know sees Hugh Jackman drown. Um, right, and he goes to the show twice. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's. Um, it's interesting. Yeah, the hot-headed one you can you can see in different scenes like the the stage where he um sabotages Jackman's uh transporting man the first time. Like that's not the chill guy. You know, <laughs> that that's the <laughs> that's the crazy one, you know. Um I like to think the chill one was the one to pull the trigger at the end. I think he was think he was yeah. He's it's kind of um cuz remember yeah. he says uh um I loved Sarah he he loved you know blah 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 yeah 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 i mean i think it's i think it's great it's awesome um to be honest with you my hype level for um oppenheimer was pretty low until i saw this movie yeah because i had forgotten how well nolan does the character drama thing 
I knew he nailed it in Interstellar. I actually think in Interstellar, that's probably um, one of his best balances of emotion between a bunch of characters. But it's kind of the two-faced nature, the way that the actors are able to kind of pull out this incredible range that you don't usually see. Um, oh, yeah. Like, I'm all I'm all down for it in, in Oppenheimer. I mean, I think the driving factor is not going to be the action. No. We all knew no. that, right? <laughs> I mean, but I don't think this movie is going to be boring anymore. I definitely thought it was going to be. Um, no, we'll I... We'll just see... Yeah, I agree. We'll just see, like, kind of how the general audience responds because I think it might be a harder sell than what people think um this movie that movie is very hyped very very hyped (laughs) people are talking about it like it's it's gonna be like mission impossible it's like okay guys calm down you know this is (laughs) this is gonna be probably a little bit slower paced than that doing a double feature with barbie i think it's gonna be like a mind melting drug trip or something i don't know (laughs) what people are thinking with that so um, but I don't know, Cameron, any other final thoughts? We've pretty much hit that 90 minute mark. So, yeah, no, I mean, I, just to reiterate, like, I really do think this movie needs to be watched a couple times. Um, sure. For me, at least, I mean, I, I really started to, to fully grasp a lot of the things and the themes and, um, these things that he was putting together. Um, and I really love what he is trying to lay down with, with sort of his own way of thinking about, about film and thinking about his work, thinking about his art, thinking about fooling the, um, fooling the, the audience. And I, I kind of love how it makes his position on CGI, like make so much more sense now, you know, because he's like, that's not, that's, you know, it's not, I want to fool them, like, but for real, you know? I don't want to, like, fake fool them with CGI. You know, mm-hmm. he's, like, almost looking at it as if it's this this sort of cheap way to fool the audience, where he wants to be the magician who's playing sleight of hand, who's being very technical, who's, you know, redirecting, making your eye, you know, look at certain things on screen. He's doing it, you know, deliberately through the technique and through the camera. Um, and he really doesn't want to do it with special effects if he doesn't, or with, you know, CGI if he, if he doesn't have to. Um, that is, I really think that makes his whole <laughs> worldview on these things. And even, actually, even the idea that he has about film and instead of digital film, because there's this... There's this physical, you know, your your mind is tricking itself into perceiving motion by watching, you know, 24 frames of a, um, you know, 24 pri- pictures go in sequence. Your brain tricks itself into seeing it m- move and seeing it be alive. And I think he, I think this movie really dives deep into that. <laughs> into that obsession that he has um, mm. in a way that maybe none of his other movies really do. And so, you know, this is a great movie all around. It's fun. It's only two hours. It's like two hours, 10. So pretty accessible. And I think if you're a more sort of hardcore 
watcher of his movies, like look at this movie as it, as sort of a key in some of the, some of the things that Nolan does that, that maybe don't make sense to everybody else or, you know, he makes movies in a particular way. This movie kind of, I think, explores some of his psyche around that, um, in a, you know, in a metaphorical way, but it, it really does. Um, for me, I, I really love it as, as sort of, um, just a, a great piece on how Nolan thinks about film. Um, so that's, that's all I have to say. You don't have to interpret it like that. Um, cause it's, you know, just a blast to watch. So other than, other than it being a blast to watch, um, you know, I think it does say something a little deeper. Um, but you know, mm. yeah, I definitely got a deeper meeting on this second viewing and I was very surprised by that. Well, Cameron, I think we both recommend uh, the prestige. Wait, I do want to, I, before we close out. Okay. I know we said we're, we're going to close out the, the movie dances around this somewhat philosophical idea. And me and Jews were talking about this in the car. Um, (laughs) the other last week, um, it dances around this philosophical idea and I want to get your input on this. Okay. The man who goes into... So, okay. So first, Tesla says, you know, when uh, when they're outside, they've, they've, you know, figured out that there's a calibration issue and so all of the transported uh, hats have been just shot outside, basically. Mm-hmm. And Tesla says, um, don't forget your hat. And Angie is like, which hat is my hat? And he says, they're all your hat. Um, and so this, it brings up, and it just very lightly touches on this. It's totally incidental to the, to the rest of the movie, but it's kind of this interesting philosophical heady idea about, um, you know, if you're the man who steps into the, uh, into the transporter, um, and you, you have a perfect replica, perfect clone appear on the other side, which one is you? Is it you mm-hmm. who who is you know the original person who stays in, or, you know, or is it you who comes out on the other end? It, are they both you? They both have the same experience. They both have the same memories. You know, obviously there's a linear progression between, uh, you know, each clone has the same plan. It's not like something goes haywire and they, they, you know, are missing memory or they're foggy or whatever, you know, they all have the same exact thoughts. They all have the same exact headspace, basically. Which one is Angier at the end? Is he dead? Well, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, the thing that I always think about is like, that's what makes killing, you know, the clone fine because it's like we still exist, right? You know, like we're all like just the same, right? Um, I don't, I mean, obviously like it's a fun question to prod at, but I, again, like this is the Nolan issue is like <laughs> he brings up philosophical ideas that are not 
necessarily supported by plot backing. So if you regard it in terms of like the story in the movie, you don't want to think about it too hard because then it sort of falls apart, right? But the idea that there's like an identical replica, um, I think it's it tends to variate action. So his his idea that he like kills it before there's any variation, um, it's that whole multiverse thing. But like, oh, so you're saying it once once they take different actions, then they're two different people. Hundred percent. Hundred mm. percent. If they were the same person, exactly right. And I actually like Kane, Michael Caine's line on this. Uh, there wouldn't be a struggle in the water, right? It would be part of the plan. And mm. when Michael Caine says, mm. "You know, I told you that story about the guy drowning, how it was like going home." Well, I lied. It was agony, right? Like that. I think that line like resonates in a deeper way as well. Um, and it is a tolling sacrifice on his psyche. You could tell like uh, Jackman's character is like just more and more like drooping and dark. Right. Um, even well, what about the, the first of- time that he does it? He, the first time he does it, you know, there's him across the room right? and then he picks up the gun and, and the guy says, no, and he's like, no, 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 no. But you if they're the same, right. If they were the same, then they would both be in the same like mind space and be like, "Yep, we have to make this decision, right?" Right. But they 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 are different, right? Because like location, I think location influences it, right? Suddenly, Jackman's character has two motivations: don't get shot and shoot, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> now yeah. they're two different people, right? Right. Um. So I don't know. Like, it's not. I, uh, but, I, but, I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's an, in- it's an interesting thought. Cause once you're, um, if you have the same memories up to a point as someone else, you have the exact same memories. Um, can you say that you're not that person? I mean, the, are they, are they even different if they have the same exact memories? I mean, this is, this, 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 this is the issue in Star Wars, the Clone Wars, man. Like, they should just be expendable <laughs> beings. You know, George Lucas was right, you know. But but suddenly the clones start carving things on their helmet and you gotta have different personalities, you know. You gotta have characters in a movie, Isaac. <laughs> <laughs> they have different colors on their helmet. They're carving in the scars, you know. Well, I'm talking about the Clone Wars cartoon. This, this, this comes up, you know. Um... Yeah, like, like, who are the clones? Right. They should be expendable. There's, like, there's this great, um, there's this great plot in the Clone Wars series where one of the Jedi generals has come to the conclusion that they are not souls. They are just flesh, like, beings. Flesh robots. No no different than animals, you Mm. know? No Mm. different than animals to him. So it's weird to see like a Jedi who throws the clones at the enemies because he's like, well, they're just tools, you know, and for other Jedi to be like, no, like, I'm not going to call you by your number. I'm going to call you a nickname. And suddenly they have like a different thing. And so that episode in Clone Wars, that arc is showing a general being like, 
why would I want to give these guys like any sort of soul or personality? Right. Um, no, I think spirit and soul, like if you want to get that deep into, into philosophical conversation is, um, it's a, it's a deep subject, even as far as animals. I mean, Jules and I always, uh, she'll, she'll, I'll give her a hard time about this, but she's like, are you going to tell me that my cats don't have souls? You know? And I always say, no, but I'm, I don't know. I actually have no idea. Sometimes I look at you and it's like, well, <laughs> they, that guy kind of looks like he, he has a pretty deep feeling about me at the moment. Um, or the way that animals interact in some of the most tragic or sad moments. It's like suddenly they can like translate things that you don't understand. Right. Mm. Um, so I don't know. Um, great subject. I don't think it really, I don't know. I, I mean, maybe, maybe it's in there lightly. No, it, it it's, it's in there. It's touched on. I, it's not the most important part of the movie, but like many of his movies, um, you know, he, like even the memory thing in Memento, you know, he's, he's exploring these ideas that maybe he doesn't really, he doesn't really flesh out and he's not, I don't know that he's necessarily trying to, to get a deep answer to, but you know, he's broaching these concepts. He's making you think about these things. And it is a good question. I mean, if you could, if you could make a comp- an exact duplicate, um, how would you be able to tell which one was you and which one was the duplicate? You know, I mean, it's, it's true. It's a, it's a, it's a complicated issue. I don't know. This is, this is, this is such a Cameron topic. <laughs> a man of philosophy. No surprise here. I uh, didn't think about it that far. But. Cameron, I am going to wrap it up. It's Let's time. do it. But really, it's because I want to know what we're going to watch next week. What are we supposed? Are we supposed to watch uh, Oppenheimer this week? Well, let's see. Um... Because Tim Smith is texting me at this moment, asking me if I want to go watch it on seventy millimeter IMAX, and I'm like, I don't know if I want to watch it. That I don't know if I'm interested so not, in. It's not getting out my next mind week. exploded or whatever. It's not out next week, so we have one more week till Oppenheimer. Um, okay. Do we want to watch? Let's see. You've seen all the rest of the Nolan movies. Dark Knight Rises. That's what we should watch. Um, that's my vote. I mean, I would love to sit down and watch Dark Knight Rises with you and Juzo in person. That would be a blast. <laughs> That would be an absolute blast. But let's see. Um, it is really your call. I kind of, I'm kind of thinking we should do Inception. To be honest, I would love. I mean, I was kind of thinking to watch it on my own time. Anyways, I was like, I got to okay. get around to seeing that. And Juzo so, yeah. would would well absolutely want to see Inception. Okay, or w- yeah. will want to talk about Inception with us. So I mean, we could talk about weekend plan. I got a weekend free, man. For once, you know, I'm kind of open this weekend, so I'll have to connect with you on that. But, um, yeah, sounds good. We'll continue the Nolan conversation. Of course, we're going to prestige with Oppenheimer, Um, hit hit the trend and everything. Yeah. Although I've I've been hearing there's just a lot of movies to see, you know, in the theaters right now. Yeah. A lot of talk about this uh, Sound of Freedom movie. How it's, um, you know, a conspiracy film or something. <laughs> what? And then, uh, <laughs> and then um, there's the uh, Mission Impossible, which everyone's talking about. I got to see that. Too. Yeah, no, I definitely want to see that. Was that the Mission name of that movie? Right, did you hear Sound about of this Freedom? Movie? 
Yeah, is that it? No, I have no idea about this movie. I don't know. It's interesting. It's like, especially like an action movie about this guy that like, it's, uh, it was made for a small budget, 14.5 million. Um, but he's like going to save children who are in trafficking or something like that. Just some dark subject matter. Hmm. But I've, I've, I mean, it's getting very good reviews, you know? Hmm. Um, so I I think it's supposed to be based on a true story, but not sure how how deeply true it is. <laughs> Just you know. Um, let's see. All right, well, but yeah, obviously, or Indiana Jones, Cameron. Let's go see Indiana Jones. You know. Well, I kind of want to see. Yeah, no, I I would I kind of would want to see Mission Impossible. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll talk offline about that. For the rest of you guys, thank you for listening. We try to post every Tuesday. Thank you for getting to the end of the episode. Have a great week. Watch some movies. Cinema Spectator is an ECFS Productions podcast that is fully funded on Patreon.com. Shout out to our producers, Darren O'Neill, for supporting the show and to the rest of you that support us at patreon.com slash ECFS Productions. If you want to learn more about the benefits you can get, check out our Patreon. The show cannot happen without you great listeners, so we thank you for all your kindness and support.